You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Studies show that 97% of travelers will make a food or beverage error within 72 hours of arrival, often resulting in a trip being ruined due to illness. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jay Keystone, Professor in the Department of Medicine and Director of the International Health Programs at the University of Toronto. He is also a Travel and Tropical Medicine Specialist at Toronto General Hospital in Canada. Dr. Keystone, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. It's nice to be here. What common mistakes do travelers make? Well, I think the first thing is travelers make the mistake thinking that they don't need any pre-travel advice, even for low-risk destinations. And therefore, they really need to be thinking about attending a travel clinic, especially if they're going to the more exotic places. What mistakes do they make? The biggest mistake they make is drinking the water, eating from street vendors, not worrying about salads. In other words, it's basically food and beverage errors are by far the major problem. And of course, that causes the major problem, which is traveler's diarrhea. When should a traveler visit a travel clinic before embarking on a trip, even a low-risk destination? Well, the preference would be about four to eight weeks beforehand, or four to six weeks would be fine. And when I talk about low-risk destinations, I'm really talking about things like the certain parts of the Caribbean and Mexico, Dominican Republic, where traveler's diarrhea is a big problem, although the more exotic diseases may be less frequent. Is prevention the best medicine? Well, I think it's two things. It's prevention, meaning thinking about the appropriate vaccines that one needs, if it's malaria prevention, anti-malarial pills, but then it also involves certain type of behavior by the traveler. So yes, you would prevent things by recommending immunizations, anti-malarials, and also recommending that travelers take with them medication to treat certain ailments, in particular traveler's diarrhea. And then the other half of it is the traveler's behavior. You don't drink the water, you stay away from ice cubes, you drink commercially bottled beverages, you keep street vendors and salads to a minimum, and you never eat unpasteurized milk or milk products. What should we be packing in our bags if we don't go to a travel clinic? I would say the standard things for diarrhea, for example, such as Imodium. Some people might take electrolyte solution. I don't think that's a big issue. Something for pain, such as something with codeine, uh, that would also slow the gut as well. If you're going to a sun destination, clearly you need sunscreen. If it's a place where there might be malaria or dengue, of course, insect repellent and an antihistamine in case one has an allergic reaction. And for people who get constipated instead of diarrhea, then they need to take something along for that as well. And possibly a little bit of a kit with some bandages and scissors, etc., although that would go in your luggage and not on your carry-on. How much of what happens to us as travelers is due to luck? Well, I think luck plays a role because you can do everything wrong and stay healthy and do everything right and get sick. So luck definitely plays a role, but also one's own immune system. There's some people who look at the travel poster and they get diarrhea, okay? There are other people who can, like, eat off the street anywhere and they never get sick. Well, we do have certain 
mechanisms to prevent organisms from invading the bowel, for example, gastric acid. So people with low acid, people on proton pump inhibitors or H2 blockers are at increased risk for traveler's diarrhea because the bugs that they ingest are going to grow, whereas somebody with normal gastric acid will be able to inhibit them. But, you know, a lot of travelers forget that they really need to think about immunizations. Aside from what you say and do, things like hepatitis A immunization, hepatitis B, these are probably the, I think, that every traveler going to a developing country or uh, that type of area where the uh, personal hygiene sanitation is not ideal, I think every traveler should have hepatitis A and B vaccine. Give us a crash course in Travel Medicine 101 when you see a traveler. We do an individual risk assessment. It doesn't matter if you you can go to India for two days or go to India for two months. The information you get will change dramatically depending on what you're doing and whether you're staying first class or no class. So the first question is, are you going to be doing all these uh, going off the tourist routes? Uh, are you going to backpacking or is it a, a three-day business trip at a high-end hotel? That will determine what recommendations we make. So if we go through it very quickly, it's what immunizations do you need? And that depends on your destination. But A and B, as I said, I think are the most important ones. And the beauty, we now have a combined vaccine in Canada and the United States that we can give both A and B vaccine within three weeks and you're done for life, in fact, I think. So immunizations, we start with first, you need A, do you need B, do you need typhoid if you're off the tourist routes or going to South Asia where there's a lot of typhoid? Are you going for long periods? Do you need rabies vaccine or Japanese encephalitis, etc.? The second issue is, are you going to a malarious area? If you are, then we have to talk about the three different or four different anti-malarials that are available, as well as the use of insect precautions. And there we're talking about DEET. The only insect repellent that works is DEET, and anywhere from 30 to 95% would be recommended. And for malaria, it's between dusk and dawn. And for dengue fever, it's a different mosquito. It's dusk and dawn. Then I move on and we talk about traveler's diarrhea. We have already talked about how to prevent it, but I think every traveler should be carrying with him or her an antibiotic for self-treatment of traveler's diarrhea. And in most parts of the world, the antibiotic of choice would be a quinolone antibiotic such as ciprofloxacin, levofloxacin, moxifloxacin that the traveler can take. And if they develop diarrhea, they take Imodium to slow the gut and the antibiotic. Personally, I like uh, levofloxacin because you only need to take one pill a day for three days. And the current feeling is, is that if you get better after your first dose of antibiotic, you don't even need those next two days. You only need as many doses of antibiotic as are necessary to make you feel better, up to three doses. In the United States, you now have a new antibiotic called rifaximin, which can be used for prevention about 75% protective, and you can use it for treatment for non-invasive diarrheas, that is those that don't have high fever or blood in the stool. It works primarily for E. coli bacteria. It's very safe, it's not absorbed, and it's as effective as the other quinolone antibiotics, but it doesn't work against things like Salmonella, Shigella, and Campylobacter, the invasive bugs. So, the pillars of traveler's diarrhea, immunization, malaria, 
traveler's diarrhea, those are the issues, the, the key issues for most travelers. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Jay Keystone, Travel and Tropical Medicine Specialist at Toronto General Hospital. Then there are a bunch of other things you have to think about. Are you going to high altitude quickly, 10,000 feet? That means you're going to have to think about using something like Diamox for altitude sickness. Are you going to West Africa or parts of Brazil where we tell you do not swim or wade in fresh water because of a a condition called bilharzia? The other next important thing is the issue of sex, which of course for all of us is very important, but the issue of sex, casual sex with a new partner. And the answer is if you can't abstain, then you must carry condoms and use them with each and every sexual activity because of the risk of hep B and, of course, throughout the rest of the world, HIV, a big issue. Dogs and monkeys in the developing world carry rabies. Rabies is 100% fatal unless you've been immunized. So one of the very important things to tell travelers, if they're going to be in countries where there are rabies, which is most of the world, then you do not pet or handle dogs or monkeys, and if you do, then you need to wash the wound with soap and water for about five minutes and then seek medical attention. And the final thing that I tell travelers, and this is really crucial, I remind travelers is that what kills travelers is not infection. In spite of all the things I've just talked about, infection is not the major cause of death. Fewer than 1% of travelers die from infection. 40% die in motor vehicle accidents, 40%. And so the number one rule, I call this the mother's rule or the father's rule, this is what you want to tell your kid who's backpacking and traveling. Don't even think about getting on a motorcycle and never, ever travel by road in rural areas after dark. No night buses, no night travel in rural areas. The bottom line is the roads are bad, the drivers are worse, and the vehicles are poorly maintained. And that last rule, believe me, is a major lifesaver for people who travel. And if they are injured, what happens if they're hospitalized? What's your best advice? First of all, you have to find the right place. And unfortunately, in many developing countries, government hospitals are not great. Some of the private hospitals are outstanding. For example, in India, some of them are even better than in North America. However, what do you do if you're hospitalized? Well, one of the things... If you have travel insurance, you can call somebody back in North America, United States, and uh, see if you can find a local hospital that has very high standards. You can buy medical insurance also that will, for example, SOS International in Southeast Asia and Africa. They have very good hospitals and clinics associated with them. And so there are ways of dealing with it. And if you're not sure what to do, If you can call an embassy, the American embassy, and sometimes even one of the high-end hotels, they might be able to direct you to where the best place is to be cared for. Otherwise, I'll have to tell you, care in parts of the developing world, unfortunately, can be very substandard, and in other parts can be outstanding. What is your take-home message for the primary care physician? 
Well, the take-home message for the primary care physician is basically, if the primary care physician is comfortable giving good information, that's great. But think about immunization, especially A and B. Think about sexually transmitted disease. Think about motor vehicle accidents, malaria, and of course, traveler's diarrhea. The take-home message, if you're not comfortable doing these things, then you should send your travelers to a travel clinic, and you can go on the web to the International Society of Travel Medicine called istm.org, istm.org, and they have a list of travel clinics all through the United States with people who are either trained or have good experience in travel medicine. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Jay Keystone, for discussing travel medicine today. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.